Hello, this is Christy Amira Harfouche, and you're listening to the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. We have a message for you today from Reverend John Harfouche. For more information, live broadcasts, and video teachings, connect with us online at globalrevival.com and join us every week for the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Hallelujah. In all of the victories that Christ won in his earthly ministry, from casting out devils, healing the sick, changing lives, there's no question that the Lord, his earthly ministry, was incredibly effective and was incredibly meaningful to the people that experienced it. We have uh, record after record after record of the lives that he transformed Changing people from being dishonest tax collectors or uh, disabled beggars or every, every bad situation that you could possibly be in, Christ encountered it. And when he encountered it, that situation changed. Pastor Christie mentioned preaching, teaching, and healing. And that is what Christ did. And through preaching, teaching, and healing, he changed the lives of people everywhere that he went. How many of you appreciate the fact that when we gather together in the house of the Lord to be in the presence of God, it's not some kind of uh, way that we just pass the time. It's not some kind of club. It's not some kind of, uh, of empty observance. It is a powerful thing that changes our lives and that as we go through every other moment of our life, if we're properly receiving what we're supposed to be receiving as members of the body of Christ, when we encounter those situations that Christ encountered, we have the answer for those situations. We have the ability to change those situations. When we come across someone who was born blind or someone who's living their life for the wrong reasons or someone that's unhappy with where they are in life who are looking for what they should be doing, who are looking for the solution to the problems that they're facing, to the things that the devil, that the adversary is trying to make happen in their lives. The thief who cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. When they run into the church, they run into the answer for every one of those problems. They run into the supply. Hallelujah. And that's why forsaking not the gathering of ourselves together is not just something we do out of empty observance. It is something we do because we recognize that there is nothing more relevant to what is happening in the world in any time and in any era than the church. There is no moment where the church takes a back seat where there is some other Christ or some other thing that has the real solution that the church doesn't have. No, it does not matter what kind of earthly situation, what kind of poverty, what kind of plague, what kind of war, what kind of attack. There is 
is no man who has a solution that is above or higher or more powerful than the solution that was brought by the man, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And so, yes, all of those things that Christ did, every victory that he won, every situation when people motivated by the devil wanted to kill him that he miraculously walked out of, every person that he raised from the dead, every blind eye that he opened, every, every bound person that he set free, None of it was on the level of the greatest victory that he achieved. The perpetual victory that he achieved that was prophesied from the beginning all the way until his coming that would be fulfilled when he gave his life on Golgotha. If he had not done that, then every other victory would have been for naught. Because his ministry, his answer, would have ended with him. His ministry, the preaching and the teaching and the healing, would have been a historical moment that we could read about in the Bible, but never experience. There would be no payment for us to change. There would be no solution for what the world is facing. There would be no church in the world today if it wasn't for that victory. And so the things that Christ did, the works that he did were great, but compared to the importance of that one victory, they pale not because we don't need to provide solutions for people that are suffering in the world. Not because we today should allow the devil to beat up on us and say, it's okay if the devil kills me because I'll just go to heaven. No, no, that's not what martyrdom is. That's not what being a witness is. That's not what doing the work of the Lord is. We follow the example of our Lord who said, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down. How many of you know that just because we have that victory won, just because that is finished, it does not mean that we drop everything else. That would make no sense because everything else is paid for by that victory. The purpose of that victory is to provide everything else, is to perpetuate that ministry that was in Christ into the ministry of his body, the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so that, 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 victory that ultimate victory was the fulfillment of Christ's mission so he was here to do the work of the father and when he came across an earthly situation he dealt with it but that was one moment in one person's life that he was dealing with the real crux no pun intended 
of his earthly ministry was that victory that he would win on the cross. And so he was incarnated on earth. He was incarnated. He lived. He was walked with the Holy Ghost. He was anointed by the Lord. He raised up disciples. He did his three and a half years of earthly ministry, all leading towards this ultimate victory that he would win for all of humanity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was the beginning of a covenant where the Lord would not just inhabit one man walking in one place, walk in one time, right? Because Jesus was the Lord, hallelujah, incarnate, right? But it was a covenant by which he would live in each of us individually and all of us together. A covenant by which the Lord would make his address on the earth, the church. His body on the earth, the church. That through his body, he would continue to do the work that his body did before his crucifixion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And we are talking about the institution of a covenant. Now, the Lord has been prophesying about this moment because he knows that this moment is approaching. The Lord has been ministering to his disciples, to the people that walk with him, about this coming battle. And none of them understand what he means by it. They think he's being a lot more metaphorical than he is. Jesus told a lot of parables Maybe they thought it was a parable when he was being literal. But he was preparing for this victory. This was the purpose, the fulfillment of the purpose of his coming. And he had raised up these men and women so that they would be able to receive the promise that he was about to pay for. Right? And so, we can start reading in verse 26. The Lord brought his people together to celebrate the Passover on the eve of this victory that would be won. And he begins the institution of uh, him living in us. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it. And gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the new testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Christ 
obviously knows what's about to go down. He's telling them explicitly what is about to go down. He's instituting the sacrament of the communion at this moment, telling them, this is my blood that is shed for the remission of sins. Has he shed any blood yet? Has he been arrested yet? Have the soldiers showed up? Has he even been betrayed yet? His location has not been given to those that are seeking to arrest him. He is in instituting the communion, stating what the covenant is. We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. We are partakers of As the New Testament says, his body and his blood, we are sharers in it. He's instituting this communion. He's setting in place what his ultimate victory is to the apostles before they even know what is about to happen. But he knows. He knows what he is walking towards. He knows what he is about to do. He is talking about his blood being shed. This is mere hours before it all goes down. And he's talking about his blood being shed and his body being given for the remission of sins. How many of you know that the price that Christ paid what he went through in order to redeem us was a very heavy price. That what he willingly took upon himself, what he endured, his passion as we call it, which is a very nice sounding way of saying it, was a heavy thing. It was a price that no person has ever paid. It was something he went through that no other person has ever gone through. No one else paid the price for mankind. No one else took on them the sins of all mankind, themselves being completely innocent, and took on all the punishment for it. No one else did that. But Christ knew what he was about to step into. And in this time of preparation for that that's about to happen, we have this Passover meal. Christ brought his apostles together. He spoke to them. He instituted the communion. He broke the bread. He never did this before. He told them before that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life in you. That's how he got rid of the posers. But thank God many of them were, were, you know, they saw the error of their ways and got right with God after that. But it was a hard thing for people to hear. But that was before this. He had never done this before. On the eve of his death, he sets in place this communion, this covenant, and prophesies his own going. 
But he is not in sorrow. He's with his disciples, ministering to them and sharing with them. And then it says, and when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. When they had sung an hymn, they ended this first, uh, uh, this prototype church gathering by singing a hymn together. Do you know that we know historically what that hymn was? We have historical writings from the Jewish people about their practice on the Passover in that time in history. They always sang the same hymns at the Passover. And they're called the Great Hallel, I believe, which means the Great Thanksgiving or the Great Celebration. It's the happiest psalms you can read. And you don't have to go there, but I'm going to go the, the final psalm that they read at the end. And you can just take a note on this. Don't go there. The final psalm that they read at the end is Psalm 118. And it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can men do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with him that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees, they are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. How many of you know that that word salvation in the original language is Yeshua, which is Jesus' name? <laughs> the Lord is my strength and song and has become my Yeshua. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. 
The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. My goodness. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Jesus himself is singing a song with the disciples about himself that was written almost a thousand years earlier but is about to be fulfilled on that day. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. 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 And so here is Jesus singing the great rejoicing song about the promise, about himself, about what he is about to fulfill on that day. Talk about the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is literally the day that this psalm was prophesying about. But the Lord, knowing all this, is not sorrowful. They sing this psalm in rejoicing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it's important that we know how to be, how to live in the right time. How to be instant in season and out of season. How to recognize where we are. The Lord is here praising God. Even though he's the one that's going to have to do all the stuff that brings about the praising in that song. It's very easy to praise God when you're not the one that has to do the work. Right? <laughs> Dr. Harfouche, he, he taught us 
about being instant in season and out of season in, in FCD. This is demonstrated by what happens in this moment of the institution of the communion. The institution of the communion is not a moment of sorrow, despite the price that will have to be paid for it. How do I know that? Well, it's very obvious if you look at the record in Hebrews. Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about... We'll skip that one. Hebrews 1.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know that word despise means something different today than it did when the English translation was originally made. When we think of despising something, we think of something that you hate to the point where you are fixated on it. You're thinking about it because you hate it. Ah, I hate that so much. But the word despise, like when it talks about them despising death in the records, it talks about the church despising death, right? It means that you account it as little or meaningless. It means that you disregard it as not worthy of your attention. And so for the joy that was set before him, he did not even consider the shame because he knew what he was doing on that day. He knew the victory that he was winning on that day. And so they sang a hymn together. He released a song that marked that moment as a moment of obedience. He was, he was right there pouring out his blood and breaking his body before anyone else had a chance to. He was laying down his life in his words that are spirit and life, in his song that was identifying that prophetic moment. It just so happens that that was the song that they always sang last after the Passover meal. My goodness. You know, the Lord, he, he knows what he's doing. But then what happened? Then what happened? Matthew 26, 31. Uh, well, 30. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise also said all of the disciples. And then we enter into uh, one of the most important moments in Christ's ministry. The prayer at Gethsemane. 
Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Right? He also says in Luke, it's recorded, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And so he actually warns the disciples about them all being offended on him, because of him. And then he commissions them when he goes out to pray. Pray that ye enter not into temptation. So he's not setting them up for failure. He's trying to help them out with that prophecy. Hallelujah. But this is where the Lord comes to pray and prepare himself for what is about to happen. And we go from this moment of rejoicing in the victory that he already knows he's about to win. Rejoicing in the victory that he came to accomplish into a moment of preparation to fight the battle and actually win that victory. How many of you know that you can have all the power in the world, but if you don't fight, you can't win? When an enemy comes against you, it doesn't matter how strong you are if you do not swing a punch. All that strength is meaningless if you are standing still. So even when the victory has already been given to you, because the power to do it has been paid for for you, it doesn't matter if you don't actually fight when the enemy comes. It doesn't matter if you lie down and play dead at the feet of your opponent that has no strength to defeat you. And so there's a recognition that the victory has been won. There is a spoken declaration as if the fight has already been fought. And then the Lord withdraws to the place where he often went to pray in order to pray and prepare himself for the actual battle that he is about to fight. This is the, the, this is, I I don't know the best way to, to describe this. This is the image of, the perfect example of, the fullest example of spiritual warfare that has ever occurred. How many of you know that the price that Jesus paid was greater than any price that anyone has paid? It is something that is on a level that you will never be called to repeat. Because he already paid that price. How many of you know that the burden of prayer that Jesus entered into in Gethsemane was the greatest burden, the largest burden that anyone has ever took on? And this moment of prayer, 
This moment of preparation for the battle was essential. I already said that all of his ministry would have been for naught had he not gone to the cross because that was the entire purpose of it. But even if he had not chosen to take on this burden for all of humanity, this burden for all the nations of the world, this prayer burden that was a burden for all of us that are alive today, all of us that have ever lived, every man and woman that will ever live, Talk about intercession. Taking on a prayer burden for all of humanity into the past and into the future. He took on willingly the greatest burden of prayer that any person has ever took on. And he prayed. Now, what happens? What happens? He saith unto them, and he took with him, uh, okay, and saith unto the disciples, sit ye while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And so the burden came on him. He was not sorrowful before this moment because that word began means things in English. Um, Right? He began to be sorrowful and very heavy and saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Right? And, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Now one of the other accounts specifically says, that the apostles slept because of the burden of sorrow that was on them. They felt that prayer burden that Christ felt. But instead of choosing to take it on and to pray unto the Lord for it and for the solution, they slept and so before they, even, before they even fought the battle, they already lost the battle because they chose not to fight. It was too much for them. They couldn't hang. Now, how many of you know that the burden that they were praying was probably a tiny fraction of what Jesus was praying? How many of you know, though, that prayer does something or else Jesus wouldn't have done it. How many of you know that if it was not, if there was anyone in history for whom it was not necessary for them to pray, to prepare their heart and their faith, it would have been Jesus. 
But instead, we see Jesus willingly taking on this burden and chastising the apostles for sleeping instead of taking on the prayer burden that had come upon them. Now, what happens when he prays? Now, how many of you know that you can shout until you are blue in the face that prayer is not about you accomplishing something? Prayer is about God accomplishing something. Prayer is about something happening because you are praying and God is doing it, right? Not you doing it. It's not an earthly ability thing. So how many of you know that if it's God that supplies the ability, that the apostles, if they had put their faith and their cares on the Lord, that they would have had the ability to pray through that sorrow. They would have overcome that feeling that had come on them. See, you take on that prayer burden You take on that prayer burden and you pray it through so that you can put that burden on the Lord. So that the Lord can give you the strength to carry it. The strength for the solution. There is no time when intercession comes on us when it's not the Lord that provides the strength to carry it. You never have to rely on your own strength. But if you do not choose to, if you do not say, I'm going to do this, Lord, give me strength. I'm going to fight this spiritual warfare battle right now. If you don't stand in faith on it, if you run from it, then the Lord cannot empower you to do anything. He cannot equip you to defeat your enemy when you are fleeing from the battlefield. We, we might today live in a time where we really want and expect everything to be easy. We're incredibly privileged, at least where we are right now, to have a, just a, a parade of incredibly convenient things. Anything that you want in the modern world is very easy to get, very fast, with very little friction. To the point where when we run into even the slightest difficulty, people stop and give up. The slightest inconvenience. Oh, I'm going to sign up for this website. Oh, those form is too long. Forget it. I'll do it later. Is the form going to be shorter later? And it's, it's a humorous example, but there's a whole lot of them. You know, we, we have the luxury of showing up at a restaurant and leaving because there's a 15 minute wait. The slightest friction, the slightest difficulty the world has tried to teach you to run from. It has tried to teach you to seek the easiest path to every solution. It attempts to train you to think work is bad. But how many of you know, if you're talking about an athlete or a soldier or even a scholar, you can't accomplish anything without pushing past that discomfort. 
You cannot increase your ability. You cannot prepare to fight or to win without pushing past that discomfort. And so it's obviously a metaphor because it pales in comparison to what we're talking about when we're talking about spiritual warfare. There is much larger things happening when we're talking about the spirit and not, and rather than the flesh. But even in the flesh, the fighter that refuses to face discomfort in training will not have the power to win the fight. The one who will face any discomfort because they're looking towards that victory. They're looking towards the joy that is set before them. Their eyes are on the goal rather than the road in between them and the goal. The ones who are willing to fight that fight, who think the discomfort is nothing compared to the prize to be won, are the ones that will train and will fight and will win. And in the same way, you cannot be lazy in your prayer life. What the apostles were experiencing here was a burden of prayer. They were experiencing a burden of prayer and they ran from it by sleeping. They ran from it by sleeping. It was something probably like they hadn't felt before. And they were like, man, I just don't feel very good. I must be tired. I just don't feel very good. This is too much. This is hard. Right? And they slept. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about the apostles. Apostles were mighty men of faith. You got the Holy Spirit, you know, living in you and the fulfillment of the promise and all that stuff. So maybe you have a little bit of a leg up on them compared to what they had to work with at the time. Right? But maybe not. You know, they also had Jesus walking around telling them things like in a physical body. So that's pretty good. But I feel like if Jesus is there praying, it's probably pretty easy to say he'll handle it. Right? Ah, My prayers, you know, the Lord always hears his prayers. He's got it handled. He's over there agonizing in prayer. I'll just let him handle it. Uh, I won't take on this burden. But how many of you know that the prayer burden that came on Peter was not Jesus' prayer burden? It was Peter's prayer burden. All right? And we know that because we can compare Jesus' response to the coming events and Peter's response to the coming events. Hallelujah. And we will. And, 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 and we will. Listen. Discomfort is not the point at which you give up. Not if you're planning on winning any battles. Not in, if you're planning on defeating the devil. Not if you're planning on facing anything. Now, there's nothing that you can do by your own ability. There's nothing that you can do by your own ability. You have to fight spiritual battles with the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal. And so it is not, it is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. And the Lord will equip you to fight 
but you have to be willing to fight. And you have to be like, I'm going to fight. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to win this fight. And then the Lord, then the Lord, then the Lord will equip you to do it. But what happens with Jesus? Jesus prays and he prays, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But if it is not, your will be done. How many of you know that Jesus did, walked his entire walk on the earth as a man anointed by God? He was doing what he was doing as a man anointed by God because if he did not, he would have violated his mission. He could not pay the price for humanity without living as a man. And this exchange is an incredible proof of that fact. Because there's a whole lot of Christians out there that uh, don't really buy that. When we say Jesus did everything he did as a man anointed by God, it's uh, a fact, biblically. It's very clear in the Bible. It's very clear in the history of the church. It's not really up for debate, but people who are ignorant have an incredible capacity to disbelieve something and then never research it. Right? If you don't know anything, it's very easy to say, nah, I don't really know. That doesn't sound right to me. I'm just going to not look into it any further than this. People have the ability to do that, right? And so there are many people that when we say that, they think, oh, what does that mean? I'm just going to leave that alone. They don't immediately accept that fact because it's a lot easier to be able to say, but that was Jesus. But how many of you know that Jesus was fully human? He was tempted in in, in all the ways that we are tempted. He was fully human. And so Jesus was not using his divine cheat codes In this prayer battle, and then, and then trash-talking Peter, who didn't have them. Right? Jesus is operating as a man anointed by God. He is praying. He is talking to the Lord. He is saying, your will be done. And what happens? Angels come. An angel comes and strengthens him. And so even that prayer, because he's willing to take on that burden, because he says, your will be done, an angel comes and strengthens him. And he can pray even more earnestly. And Luke records it, and he prayed and sweat great drops of blood. He agonized in prayer. How many of you have never travailed that hard before? How many of you are happy the price has been paid so that you don't have to travail that hard? But the point is that Jesus fought a battle in Gethsemane. He knew that his victory was assured because he knew who he was. He knew what he was here to do and he knew that he was not going to give up, that he was not going to back down. And as long as he did what he was called to do, he would get the results he was called to get. But even with that knowledge and that celebration 
at that institutional gathering, at that Lord's Supper, right? He still fought that battle in Gethsemane. Now, what happens after this travail? What happens after this agonizing in prayer? Three times he goes and prays. First time he wakes up the disciples and tells them, what are you doing? Could you not pray with me one hour? Wake up, pray you don't fall into temptation. Second time he comes back, they're asleep again. He wakes them up. The third time he comes back, he doesn't even bother waking them up. He just says, he just says, (laughs) he says, sleep now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And so here it is. Here is the moment of truth. This is what he's been praying in preparation for. But what happens? That sorrow, that agonizing, that prayer burden is not on him anymore. He does not carry a burden of sorrow unto death into the presence of Pontius Pilate. He does not carry a burden of sorrow as he's carrying that cross up the hill to Golgotha. He does not carry a burden of sorrow as he's paying the price for all of us. No, he fought that battle in prayer and won before the hour even came. Before the hour even came. And John records it this way. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, they answered him Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Jesus has been praying. The people are showing up that think they have authority over Jesus, that think they're about to fight a battle and win against Jesus. And they're like, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, that's me. And they're like, who has the authority in this situation? Jesus says to them, what are you doing? I told you I'm Jesus. Go ahead and arrest me. Why are you lying on the ground? I am he. Right? And behold, and now, now, now this happens. Uh, but, but they go to arrest him and Peter, behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Ouch. Right? And Jesus said unto him, unto, unto him put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword, or all those that live by the sword, right? Thinkest thou not that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? 
But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? This is a man who is in control of the situation. And what happens? He picks up the guy's ear and he puts it back on his head and he heals him. Who's in control here? They, they walk up to this man who was just in grievous sorrow, agonizing in prayer, and what they come across is someone who has already won. Someone who before they have even pronounced the sentence has already won the battle. Someone who has prophesied the price to be paid. And he did not do it as a God without feelings. He did it as a man anointed by God, subject to like passions as we are. He won a battle that shows that there is no battle that we cannot win. He won a battle in prayer that shows that there's no spiritual warfare that we cannot face. And when he stepped out of his prayer closet on that mountain, he stepped out with his victory already won and his victory already assured before the battle would even be fought. And so the soldiers came up and his voice, the authority in his voice knocked them down. So he said to his disciple, don't you know that at any moment... I can have 12 legions of angels come and rescue me from this situation, but there's something I gotta do. I could get out of this, but I am not going to get out of this battle. I'm gonna win this battle. I could retreat from this fight, but I know who I'm paying for. I know who I came to save, and I'm not gonna give up on my children, on the people I came to save, on the church I came to found, how else can it be fulfilled? Except that this happens. This has to happen. He heals a man who's there to arrest him. He heals a man that's there to arrest him and they take him and he says, he says to them at the same time, are you come out as against a thief? with swords and staffs for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. What, why do you have all these armies here with you? Could have arrested me at any time. You didn't say a word. But here you are, come out to arrest me as if I'm a criminal, as if I'm a thief. And he says, but all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. My goodness. My goodness. And so this, this pivotal moment, this pivotal moment, we have the prayer winning the battle before the battle is fought. We have a willingness to take on a burden for all of humanity. I guarantee you that that prayer was not super comfortable. What time of night do you think it was? 
We know Jesus got hungry and got tired and got thirsty. We know that Jesus walked as a man anointed by God. We know that he experienced everything. He was fully human. And he took on that burden. But he doesn't even have to fight that burden through, he doesn't fight that burden through his earthly ability. Angels strengthen him. And he prays and fights and receives the authority from the Lord to step into a situation having already won the battle. The fight is won in training before the fight takes place. The fight is won in preparation. The battle is won in preparation before the battle even takes place. But if you're not willing to take on that burden of prayer, then you end up in a situation that you're unprepared for. And so Peter panics and cuts off a guy's ear. How many of you know that you don't aim at an ear with a sword? Peter was not aiming at that guy's ear. He missed. Okay? So Peter steps into the situation and he is unprepared and he is scared. And he thinks that they don't have the authority. They don't have the power in that situation. And his response is to take back some authority of his own. Not through faith. Not through prayer. But through panic and violence. Right? That, see, he was unprepared for the battle. And we know what happened to Peter. How many of you know the Lord would not tell him to pray lest he enter into temptation if it was not possible for him to do so? How many of you know that the Lord would not have chastised him for not praying unless he wanted him to pray so that he could accomplish something? How many of you know that if Peter and the sons of Zebedee had continued with the Lord in prayer, had received that burden and prayed through it, their reaction when the enemy came would have been different. Their reaction would have been the reaction of people with authority. People with power. People that know that no earthly authority has power over them. No earthly authority has power over them. And so we stand in prayer and we take, we take that burden on. And it's not something that we fight ourselves of our own ability, but it's something that we have to be willing to take on so that the Lord can empower us to win. Now, there's a lot of people right now all over the world, all, all throughout the church that are experiencing burdens like you have never experienced before who are experiencing burdens like you've never experienced before, who are being assailed by thoughts that you have never thought before. Now is not the time to sleep. Now is not the time to run away. 
Now is the time to recognize who has given us the victory over every earthly situation, over every enemy, every work of the devil, every weapon. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And if we will not run, then God will give us the victory. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thanks for joining us on the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Join us on our other podcast, Miracles Today. Connect with us at globalrevival.com and we'll see you next week.